I got nervous when I thought there was a sound issue. I was doing a wedding in Illinois last weekend, and the DJ had the microphone, and he gave it to me. And he talked it up. He was like, this is like the best microphone. This is like state of the art. And he gives it to me, and we test it. Nothing. He's like, oh, batteries must be dead. So he changes the batteries, gives it back to me, and we test it. Still nothing. He goes, oh, batteries still. I'm thinking, I don't think it's the batteries. Finally, we can get it going. But during the ceremony, cuts out, brings up a handheld, which also doesn't work. And uh, so I, I just said, can everyone hear me in the back if I talk more loudly? And they started applauding. And uh, most important thing, though, the wedding went off without a... Uh, any significant problems with the second sound. It was on a lake, and you could hear people at some of the nearby houses playing music, and when they came up, I could actually, I don't know if anybody else could hear it, but I could hear We Are the Champions by Queen. But I thought, that's a, that's a good walk down the aisle song. <laughs> Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. We thank you for the gift of marriage. Lord, we thank you for your gospel and the blessings you bestow upon us because of your goodness, Lord. We don't deserve any of it, Lord. We, we thank you for that. Lord, I, I do want to continue to pray for the family of Jeremy Johnson, a friend to many of us who passed away, Lord. And, and I pray that in this difficult season that they would see you and know you. Lord, I pray for peace that surpasses understanding. I pray for beauty for ashes, Lord. I pray for our nation. There's so much upheaval and disagreement. And Lord, I pray for unity. I pray people turn to you and see you and seek your face. Lord, I pray you bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The prophet Ezekiel was writing during a very dark time in Israel's history. When he was writing, it was shortly before the time when Israel's southern kingdom, which included Jerusalem, would fall. But in spite of those difficult times, God gave a glimmer of hope to a future time. Ezekiel 36, 25-27, one of the most significant passages in the Old Testament. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. The hope of the world is in the gospel. Many don't accept that idea. Many think that humanity can get better on its own. The last century has seen incredible advances in science and technology. Discoveries that have helped people live longer and cured diseases which were once death sentences. Global poverty has decreased in many parts of the world, including America. The wealth of the average person has significantly increased, despite what the media might make you think. 
Crime rates are down and murder rates are down in America. But in spite of all of those advances, the world is still sinful. Wars, a global industry of human trafficking, modern-day slavery, totalitarian dictators in much of the world, religious oppression. Man's own goodness is not the key to a better world. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Our hope is not in man's goodness. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's goodness working through God's people. And with that, we come to our passage this morning, John chapter 3, as we continue our series on the Holy Spirit, which Pastor Eric began last week. John 3 was written early in the ministry, writing about a time early in the ministry of Jesus. He's starting to become prominent throughout Judea. And he's approached in the evening by someone who's taken notice of the work that Jesus is doing. Now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. It seems that he came to Jesus at night because he was almost trying to hide the fact that he was coming to Jesus. The text tells us that he was a Pharisee. We've talked about this before, but the Pharisees were very serious people about knowing the Old Testament and following the laws of God. And verse 1 includes not only was he a Pharisee, but he was a ruler of the Jews. This means that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling council of the Jews. It was their highest court. Nicodemus was a powerful man. He was an expert in the law. I think we struggle to appreciate just how well someone like him knew the Bible. Studied it day and night. Extremely well-versed and well-trained. Years spent training studying the word. He would have likely had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Think, think of whatever subject it is where you're the most knowledgeable what do you know the most about? Maybe, maybe for some of you it's music, maybe it's cooking, maybe it's the Bible, hopefully. Maybe it's football, maybe it's gardening. Whatever it is, the area that you know more about than anything else, Nicodemus knew more about the Bible than you know about that thing. And so we see Nicodemus approaching the Lord. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The words of Nicodemus seem very sincere. He tries to show respect for Jesus by addressing him as rabbi. Again, Nicodemus would have been very highly respected and revered in this society. Jesus at the time is still relatively unknown. But he views Jesus as a teacher from God and acknowledges the signs that Jesus is doing as a confirmation of his divine ministry. Nicodemus doesn't fully grasp who Jesus is. Really, that's a common theme in the Gospels. Certainly, Jesus is more than a teacher. He's the Lord who takes away sin. 
But the signs, signs that Jesus has been doing stand out to Nicodemus and others. He's intrigued by Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What an interesting statement. In general, it's helpful to pay attention to how Jesus interacts with people. Sometimes Jesus gets asked a question and he responds with a question. Sometimes he responds with a parable. But here, it's almost like Jesus responds to Nicodemus with the answer to the question that Nicodemus didn't know exactly how to ask. It's like Nicodemus is asking, who are you? Or what are you about? And yet here in verse 3, Jesus states that a person must be born again to see the kingdom of God. One of the things that's important to appreciate about what Jesus is saying here is that even a man like Nicodemus, prestigious, powerful, respected, knowledgeable in the word of God, dedicated to serving God and following God, rigid in adherence to God's laws, and yet he must be born again. It doesn't matter who he is or what he's doing. Whatever blessings Nicodemus thought that he had earned with God, Jesus is saying, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so must you. The idea of being born again is called regeneration. That's a theological word, a theological idea. Regeneration is the new spiritual life that God gives to those who have faith in him. It's a supernatural work that God does within a person who comes to faith. All Christians are born again because all Christians have experienced regeneration. There's no such thing as an unregenerate Christian. That's not a Christian. And as we continue in this passage, we will continue to pick up insights into what it means to be born again. And it's pretty important because Jesus will repeatedly say that it's essential that a person be born again. Regardless of how nice you are, how honest you are, how much you help people, how involved you are at church, how much time you spend reading the Bible, those are all great things. You still must be born again. Nicodemus in verse 4 misses the point. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He misses the point. It's easy to be critical. That he says something so absurd. Thinking about the passage this week, I think I can actually kind of um, empathize with Nicodemus. I tried to put myself in, in Nick's shoes. Does anyone else ever just have stuff just go right over your head? I miss things sometimes. I, I've learned I, I'm a bad movie watcher. Um, Carrie and I were, technically it was a show, not a movie, but we were watching something and there's these, these two bad guys in it and Carrie goes, I bet those are the two kids from the beginning scene. And I'm like, wow. Like, it just, I, I never would have got that. And 
I miss stuff like that all the time. I'll be watching a movie and somebody will get like arrested. I'll think, ah, oh, that's terrible. And it'll be like, no, that's the bad guy. And, oh, uh, I just, all the time. Sometimes I just don't make the connection. I, to be honest, for me in this situation, Nicodemus asks the question, I might have intended to go, oh, yeah, exactly. I need to be born again. And just left it at that, not knowing. I would have had to have asked Carrie, and, and not asked her what does it mean, but asked her a question in, in such a way that it sounded like I knew the answer. Like, hey, you know what it means to be born again, right? But anyway, Nicodemus, he, he at least asks. He's confused because he doesn't make the connection. But it's interesting because Jesus in verse 5, or I'm sorry, Jesus will respond to Nicodemus like it's something that he should have understood. Later on in this passage, Jesus will say, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? You're the smartest person around. How have you missed this? Nicodemus is confused. Jesus elaborates a little bit further. Verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Maybe that idea is more familiar to us. Water and the Spirit. Does that ring a bell? It came up at the beginning of the passage, or at the beginning of the message today when I was quoting Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Water and spirit. So, so far, Jesus has said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. They're all obviously important in what Jesus is saying about how one can enter the kingdom of God. But what do they have to do with each other? Again, I think a key to answering that question is found in Ezekiel 36. In that passage, water and spirit are also both present. And it says that the Lord will give the faithful a new heart. And so what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is that this prophesied period, this messianic age, has arrived. It's right before Nicodemus' eyes, and he doesn't even realize it. That the Old Testament pointed to a time where there would be a new heart for the people of God, and God giving his spirit. With the water, I think it's important to note something. I take the water to also refer to the Holy Spirit not to baptism. It's a popular interpretation of John 3 that the water is baptism. And honestly, it seems maybe obvious, but baptism is not mentioned anywhere else in the discussion. Just because the word water is used, it doesn't mean that it must refer to baptism. 
In the following chapter, John 4, Jesus again talks of water, but here he talks about living water, which is a reference to the Holy Spirit, not baptism. The idea of baptism is further complicated because Jesus is critical of Nicodemus for missing the point, which wouldn't have necessarily seemed like a fair expectation of Nicodemus, given that at the time, baptism for Christians had not yet been instituted. So for all those reasons, I don't take the water in John 3 as being about baptism. I take Ezekiel 36 and John 3, which both refer to water and the Spirit, to be both using those terms interchangeably and referring to the Spirit specifically through regeneration or being born again. I realize it's kind of a complicated idea. But the ultimate point of John 3 is that you must have the Spirit to be regenerated by God. Baptism is important, but baptism is both an action that is symbolic of your inward faith, a faith where God has poured out his Spirit into his people, and it is confirming that. Jesus continues talking about the Holy Spirit in our passage. And again, these eight verses revolve around the Holy Spirit and his work. It's so important that Jesus says that it's essential that a person have the Spirit, be born again. The next thing Jesus says, chapter 3, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's saying that on our own, we cannot make ourselves spiritual. We cannot make ourselves godly. We cannot make ourselves worthy of the kingdom of heaven. It is a spiritual work that God does within us. This is consistent with what else Jesus has said in the passage, that it is necessary to be born again. And this is part of the reason why any idea of works-based righteousness fails. Because the standard is not what we do. We must be born again. We must be born again into what Jesus has done. Our heavenly hope is not in our earthly activities. And true faith in the gospel results in a person having God's spirit. Verse 7 is another fascinating statement by Jesus, where he says, Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. Still speaking to Nicodemus. For Nicodemus, given his study of the Bible, given the promises of God giving his spirit, given the Ezekiel 36 promise of a new heart, for all these reasons, for Nicodemus, it should not be a logical leap that a new birth, a new life would be necessary in truly coming to God. Again, whenever we're tempted to judge or to think someone in the Bible is really dense or really misses the point, I think it's important to be humble because we often miss the point too. The Bible constantly talks about the necessity of faith. The Bible constantly talks about our sin. Throughout the Gospels, we see constant references to Jesus' death for our own sin. And yet we so often face the temptation to think our standing before God is based on ourselves, is based on our lives, is based on what we do. 
You must be born again. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, Jesus says to Nicodemus. Verse 8, Jesus is giving an illustration about the work of the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Keep in mind, Jesus was telling this to people before modern meteorology. But even still, to the average person, you don't really, unless you study weather, you don't really know how the wind works or what causes it to change. However, we feel its impact. We, we see its impact and things getting blown around. We hear it. It's around us. Jesus says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. D.A. Carson says in his commentary on John, we can neither control him nor understand him, but that does not mean we cannot witness his effects. Where the Spirit works, the effects are undeniable and unmistakable. There is evidence of the work of God and the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer. And I again refer back to Ezekiel 36, verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Again, this is the good news of Jesus' heavenly ministry. God gave the law to his people, but they didn't follow it due to sin. But now we are at a time when God works within his own people, enabling us to do the will of God. You hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with the Spirit. The gospel results in a changed life. It's not to say you will never sin again. It's not to say you will never struggle with anything again. But the Spirit bears fruit. Galatians 5 gives an entire section that on the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit bears love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Other t- passages that talk about the transformation of the Spirit of God. 1 John three twenty four. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us. By the Spirit whom he has given us. Have you been born again? Has your life been changed by the gospel? Because God does a heart transplant whenever someone comes to faith. He gives a new heart. Do you have joy in the Lord? Do you have a love for God? Are there areas where you've seen fruit in your life? Do you have confidence in God's goodnesses and promises and faithfulness and salvation? Do you have a greater appreciation for the weight of your own sin? Do you feel like your life is oriented around God? Being born again results in a life that is transformed 
because it is not about our strength to live in a godly manner, but it is God working in us through his spirit. Have you been born again? Being born again is not a suggestion. It's a mandate. Later on in this passage, Jesus is still addressing Nicodemus. Jesus talks of his authority. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus' words on the subject matter. It is he who would be lifted up for sin. This refers both to Jesus when he was lifted up on the cross, but also his resurrection and his ascension. He's telling Nicodemus, but he's also telling us what must be done. The one who died and rose and lives today died that death so that we could have life. There's nothing else that counts. You can't be good enough. You must have faith. You must be born again. The Spirit isn't given to everyone, only to those who are born again. And you can have that by having faith in Jesus and the gospel and what he has done on the cross. People like to believe in false gospels because people hate the idea that Jesus is the only way. But Jesus was lifted up so that everyone who believes in him can have eternal life. Without that, you don't have eternal heavenly life. Jesus died once, so those Jesus died once, so those who are born twice only have to die once. Everyone else will die twice. There will be their physical earthly death, but also an eternal death and torment apart from God. Unless one is born, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's not up for debate in the same way that the laws of gravity aren't up for debate. They're there regardless of if a person likes them. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Really, that's the main idea of this passage. Have you been born again? Have you come to faith in Jesus? We don't get to walk into heaven on our terms. Jesus is the way. Because a Christian is born again, again, in that process, we are given new spiritual life. And because of that, we are justified, which means that we are put into right legal standing before God. We are declared holy and righteous. Also, a person, as a result of these things, is adopted into the family of God and is promised a heavenly inheritance because you've been adopted into the family of God. You're his son and daughter. A person is sanctified, which is the continual process of being made holy and is equipped with spiritual gifts for the purpose of serving God, which you can't have spiritual gifts if you don't have the Spirit. All of these things happen to a person who has born been born again and has faith. Without being born again, a person doesn't have the spirit, which means they're not born again. They don't have any of these things. They're not justified. They don't have an inheritance. They don't have the spirit. 
You must be born again. It all works together. Again, if a person doesn't have the Spirit, they're not justified. And Jesus' grace does not apply to them if they haven't responded by faith in the gospel. You must be born again. It all goes together. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. All of these things. They have nothing to do with us in terms of how nice we are or how good we are. The entire system flies in the face of man's ability to earn his salvation. It is entirely the work of God. It is all about God. It is the work of God in a person, in the soul of a person who trusts in Jesus by faith. And again, without faith, you have none of this. And you aren't born again. You must be born again. Responding to Jesus in faith. Trusting in the gospel. Trusting in him as your savior. Have you? The good news is that God offers salvation. He has a new heart for you. He has a new life for you. You don't have to be a master of theology. You don't have to figure it all out. Really, at times in the Bible, the people who most get it are those who are sometimes the least educated theologically, but respond nonetheless to God in faith. You must be born again. You don't have to have all the answers before coming to Jesus. It's about trusting him. You can come to him in this very moment. The Bible says that salvation is in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is only Jesus, his death, his resurrection. It is the guarantee of our eternal life. Coming to Jesus in faith. And when we do that, the grace and forgiveness that Jesus extends is sufficient. We are invited into a new life. We are justified and made right with God. Where is your faith? Have you been born again? Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us here today. Regardless of how long someone's been coming to church, how old they are, what we've done. Lord, I pray that the power of your gospel would be clear to all of us. Lord, that there is forgiveness for sin and we need that forgiveness. We can't do it on our own. Lord, but that we must come to you in faith and trust in you, Lord. May we do that. May we know the truth. May we follow Jesus. May we be born again. Lord, I pray for those who haven't been. I pray that all of this would resonate with them, would convict them, that they would turn to you. Lord, for those of us who know you, who've been walking with you, I pray that every day we walk in a joy of the life that you have given us. Lord, I pray that we walk in step with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.